if your life is going smoothly this week, I'll be surprised. Had a smooth beginning to your year. How about the nature of life today? I'm just guessing here, but I suspect I haven't gotten a yes from you yet. Smooth is an expected ideal much more than a reality experience with any frequency. Many years ago, when I was a young minister, I ran into a middle-aged pastor in a meeting of pastors. We called it a presbytery. He stood out in the crowd. To me, he seemed cool. His dress was elegantly casual. His hair combed handsomely without perfection or gel. His smile was quick and good humor seemed to follow his conversations. Ready with my newfound theological precision, I approached the man along with a few like-minded friends to check him out further. It really was not too unlike dogs in a dog park sniffing out another breed. He greeted us with that twinkle in his eye of one who knew what was coming, and he was up for the task. It didn't take long for the kidding to begin as he played with our minds, allowing me to call attention to the small, smooth stone he wore on a chain around his neck, knowing I was giving him the very obvious opening that such an adornment desired. I don't remember the story, but I do remember the conversation which followed it. It was about how sin played into preaching. Did he tell people they were sinners in need of a savior, or did he soft pedal that part of the gospel message? Let me tell you about the people who come to my church, he said. All week long, they're told they are not good enough. They don't sell enough. They don't work fast enough. They aren't charming enough or energetic enough, caring enough, and they don't produce enough for the bottom line. Now, he continued, how am I supposed to tell them they aren't good enough, righteous enough, holy enough, spiritual enough, or godly enough, and expect them to believe we offer anything different from the world? He made his point. Today, we have someone who knows a few things about rough roads, ruts and pitholes. He paves them for a living along with his over 270 employees. Meet Darren Young for our show on filling in the ruts. Welcome, Darren, to Church Hurts and. Thank you. Glad to be here. Darren, I described you as a guy who fills in the ruts. Would you like to give me a more sophisticated description of your company, Dryco? What do you guys do? We are a pavement maintenance company and a construction company. We have uh, a concrete division, uh, an asphalt division. We also have a fence and iron division. And uh, we cover uh, work in the Bay Area as well as Central Valley. Um, and we've grown it to be uh, one, of the, one of the better companies in the Bay Area. And uh, it's been fun. Now, I know you don't like to brag, Darren. You're a humble man. But... 2020 is going to be remembered for a lot of things, but for you, there's some good things that happened to your company last year. Tell me about that. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to understand how this has happened, but in this uh, pandemic year, we've had the best year that we've ever had. And uh, our sales, we just got our numbers uh, finished and it's almost $81 million of a business, which is $10 million more than we did last year, which was our best year ever. 
And so it's hard to explain, um, but I know that a lot of it has to do with the customers that are here in the Bay Area. Um, you know, the, the Teslas, the Apples, uh, you know, Amazon, these companies are, are still going gangbusters. And we're able to meet, you know, tough schedules with uh, the manpower that we have. And um, that's really the main secret is being able to meet their schedule. And we've, we've been able to do that. And that's why we're, we had such a good year last year. And we're looking forward to another good year this year. Now, Tesla, we're in California, used to hearing about the fact that they've made decisions to move to Texas or all that. But you, in the meantime, were paving their park. What what was it like paving the parking lot for Tesla? <laughs> oh, Tesla is complete chaos. So they have this huge facility in Fremont, which is like a mile or two miles from my office. And it is literally chaos in all ways. They want they will call you on Monday and say, I need the bid by Wednesday and the job starts on Friday and it's a big job. And uh, not a lot of people are able to meet those schedules. And, uh, and most of the time we are, which is, like I said, that's what's really been the secret to this year is being able to meet super aggressive schedules. Amazon's another one. They're building warehouses where they, where they have their little vans coming through 24 hours a day and three shifts. And they want that, they want that facility built within two months and it's a five month job. And uh, so that's, that's really been uh, our fortune, right? So people obviously are sitting there going, what in the world are they doing on church hurts? And um, why are they talking about paving of all things? I mean, that's just a dirty job, $80 million or not. I mean, you're really in the, you're in the ruts and the mess and you didn't start out as the big executive. And I've uh, been reminded, was reminded earlier when we talked, you know, it seemed almost every one of our guests who's a man will somehow bring up his father. And so, um, as we, as I talked to you, you know, wow. Yeah. Who's your hero? You know, Darren, it has to do with your dad, but, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about what happened to you at 16, because it doesn't start out with your dad at a real high place in his life, does it? No, well, you know, I had a great childhood, grew, grew up in a, you know, neighborhood and suburb, and, uh, you know, it was, it was very good. And then um, when I was 16, just about to graduate high school, uh, my dad went bankrupt, and so mm -hmm. we lost everything, uh, you know, the house, the, the cars, my mom went from driving a Continental Mark IV to a Corvair station wagon that leaked about two gallons of oil a day. And, uh, you know, we were, she went to live with uh, her dad uh, and I went to live with my dad in an apartment in Fremont. And it was just a game changer. It was just a complete game changer. Well, I mean, talk about hitting a rut in life whenever you have bankruptcy going through it. But I'm picturing at 16, that's really in an age where you're still not that much aware of, you know, parents bringing home income and, and what it means. And then all of a sudden you had to, right. Do you, you like, you got yeah. to work pretty quickly, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I had to. Yeah. My brother, on the other hand, uh, was fortunate that he, uh, got to go to Cal Berkeley on academic scholarships. He was a valedictorian, super smart guy. He got all the brains and I got all the looks is what happened in our family. But uh, <laughs> that's been said before, I suspect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah. So he went off to college, which was good for him. And I was 
kind of stuck with my dad in Fremont. And of course, my dad wasn't really around much. So I was kind of on my own. No, I wasn't kind of on my own. I was on my own. Uh, but yeah, learned how to work and uh, had the drive and the ambition. And, you know, I, I did okay. Mm. You know, in the in the board game life, uh, if you ever played that, there's an alternative to go to school. And that really delays being able to make money in that game. But anyone who's played it much realizes probably the option you ought to go because there's rewards for the rest of the time. And so your brother got to go that route. You didn't. And somehow what I've experienced is I've just gotten to somehow in my life to know the guys who didn't end up being able to go the school route and be ridiculously successful, but somehow they keep being reminded that they did that you're insecure, that they didn't go to school. I don't get that from you. You're too busy to be insecure about that. Aren't you? Yeah, I'm, I don't, I didn't, I never liked school anyway. So I think it was kind of a blessing that I didn't have to go to school. I kind of learned, you know, learned it the hard way. You had a, a Christian background. At least you went to, you went to Catholic church, you learned catechism and that kind of thing, but spirituality wasn't a real important thing in your family through any of this, was it? No, no. My dad, um, didn't believe, uh, for most of his life. Uh, my mom was, was a, you know, devout Christian, but you know, um, she didn't appeal to anybody because of her tact, you know, the way she went about it was, you know, beat you over the head with it. All right. So, so put yourself, so here that your dad's bankrupt, you end up taking over the business learning. He kind of turned, uh, taught you the trade though, right? You were out doing driveways around the area, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was I went to work for a spice factory and uh, and I didn't enjoy what I was doing because they had me on swing shift. And um, I was complaining um, at a family dinner, I'm sure. And he said, Darren, you should come come to work for me because now by this time he had gone back into business. That's what guys like him do. They get it. They go out of business and they go back into business. And he had a really good account with U-Haul and he was doing well. And so I said, okay, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll come to work for you. Sounded great. He'll teach me you know, construction. And I literally, you know, started as a labor learning how to shovel. Um, and, and everything was great for a couple of years. And then in 1982, when interest rates went to 16%, um, U-Haul decided to stop all construction. And so we found ourselves back in Redwood city with no work. And, um, before he had gone into business for himself, he had worked for a guy in Redwood city that did driveways and, um, Redwood city is very close to very affluent neighborhoods like Atherton and Portola Valley and Woodside. These are huge houses with huge driveways and tennis courts. And that's what we did, right? We did driveways and, and tennis courts, but, uh, it was pretty hard, you know, we we're in a, in a big recession and it was pretty hard to sell work. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And, um, so he hit the skids again. And at some, at some point he came to me and said, look, I'm not going to be able to get out of this. The IRS has got me tied up. So why don't you go get your license and I'll come to work for you and teach you the business. You can buy my equipment. Uh, I'll write a note for, I think it was $50,000 to buy all of his equipment, which was, you know, it was all junk at that point. Nothing, nothing to be proud of. Um, but didn't really have a choice, right? I mean, we were kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you could, 
go back to work at the spice plant, but what's your dad going to do? And, you know, my mom and dad, they separated, they divorced, but they always stayed together somehow. So he was taking care of her as well. And uh, so I kind of felt boxed in at that point. Um, I did what I had to do. And, and, and again, going to get your contractor's license, you know, that's going to school. I'm, I've never been much of a school guy, but, and that was hard for me, but I did it. I, I got my A license and, um, and he taught me the business. He taught you the business and we, we, you know, we talk a lot about recovery around here. Were there any substance issues involved? Like there often is in these stories. Oh, my dad. Sure. My dad was a, I'd like to say he was a functioning alcoholic, but sometimes he wasn't a functioning. Most of the time he was. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a struggle. His, his alcoholism um, is what caused him all of his problems. Basically that was his downfall was he would spend too much time at the bar with his buddies and not enough time watching his business. And uh, you know, I, I watched it from, you know, from the sidelines and I just, I couldn't understand it. You know, I'm just like, well, why are you, why are you doing this? And I didn't understand, you know, addiction at that point as well as I do now. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was one of those things. He was great until, until noon He'd come into the office early and, uh, you know, he'd, we'd work on stuff, bids. He's teaching me how to cost jobs and how to bid jobs. And, and at, you know, around 1130, he'd say, well, I'm going to go get a sandwich. I'll be back. And he'd head to Harry's Hofbra in Redwood City. And that was it. He would not come back. He would be sitting at that bar from 12 o'clock until 7 o'clock that night, rolling dice and, you know, hanging out with his buddies. All of his contractor buddies were the same, you know, had the same MO and, uh, I was kind of on my own to figure it out, you know, every afternoon. Um, and then I'd, you know, I'd stock up my questions. And when he came in the morning, I'd, you know, get as much as I could out of him. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, there were some tough times. There's there some disappointment. You call them ruts. Yeah, we had some ruts. But, you know, my dad's the hero of all my stories. And uh, I loved him a lot. And he loved me a lot. And that was that was what kept things together, right, for us. We have a lot in common that way. People who know my story, you know, they want to say you're giving your dad a break because, you, you know, my dad was a drunk. But he, too, went to work, and he'd go to a different kind of bar than your dad did. You know, they had fancier names, and they'd talk insurance, and the other person would get drunk, and they'd call their secretaries and say, oh, switch the insurance from this category to that category. But it was still the same story. It was still drunk every day after lunch, um, and it and it's hard. But the you know we don't have time to get into the details. But the bottom line, you were a quick study. You saw those nice houses, and you said, "I think I want one of those." And and your business started to succeed while he was he he wasn't being very helpful. But you were started multiplying your business, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, you know, it was. It was easy to have success and, um, you know, all you had to do is return phone calls and, you know, do the right thing when, when, you know, construction, right. When things, when you make a mistake, just fix it. Right. Oh, show up. You know, how many people have had experiences with contractors where they say they're going to be there and then they don't show up. So by doing all the right things and again, at these very, nice houses. And of course, you know, I'm having to listen to motivational speakers and read all those books to keep myself, you know, positive and learn sales and techniques. And Zig Ziglar was one of my, 
you know, one of my mentors. And uh, he basically said, you know, you can get everything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. And I looked at those people that own those big houses and I thought, well, I'm going to help them get what they want, which is a nice driveway. And in the process, I'm looking at these nice houses saying, well, I would like one of those. And he said, well, you know, if you write down your goals and you write them down big and you read them every day and you keep focused on them, you're, you're going to get whatever you want. And so I was kind of naive and wrote down, you know, the big house on the hill with the big driveway. I mean, I knew exactly what it was and uh, just kept working hard and, uh, Ended up, ended up there. Well, it just jumped to 25. Uh, you've already had uh, some significant success. You're basically a workaholic, though. You're going seven days a week. You're, you're running and gunning. And we haven't talked about your bride at all, who I really got to know before I got to know you. And um, she put her foot down one day, didn't she? She said, you're a, um, they've got to change. I'm not willing to kind of be the work widow. Yeah. Yeah. She, at one point she said, okay, buddy, you know, we have two kids now at this point. And she's like, you, you can't work seven days a week. I need you. I need you home on Sundays to spend time with the family. And I said, great. Cause I was tired. You know, I'm like, okay. I'm, I was kind of glad she put her foot down there. And then another time, uh, you know, she was working full time too and raising the two kids and doing the housework and all the chores. And I would, I'd work hard. I'd get home late. I'm tired. I'd sit on the couch, turn on the TV, you know, have a beer. And one night she came out and said, Hey buddy, guess what? You know, I'm doing this. She named off all the things she was doing and she was right. Not only that, she'd mow the lawn on the weekends cause I was working. Right. <laughs> and she said, look, you just need to pick a chore, right? Just pick a chore. I'm like, pick one chore. And she's like, yeah, just pick one chore. And I'm like, okay, well I'll, I'll pick cooking. Cause I think I can do that better than you anyway. And uh, she's like, that's fine. I go, so I don't have to do laundry? Nope. I don't have to do dishes? Nope. You just, you just make the dinner for the family every night, and that's good, that's good enough. And uh, I, I guess what? Family dinner was last night, and I cooked dinner for the whole family, grandkids, everybody, because that's, that's my job. That's what I do. You know, that story is almost identical to mine. I did the same thing, but I was a bit dimmer. It took me for you. I took the responsibility for dinner, but really it kind of meant, well, unless I had a good excuse and then it was still stuck on my wife. It took me four years to figure out, no, doing dinner really meant dinner. And, uh, but now nah, what a joy we can talk about cooking all day. And, and you're a good cook too. I mean, I had the same thing. I said, I like to cook. She didn't. So I thought my food was better. And, uh, but what kind of how to turn something into fun, huh? That is fun for you now. Yeah, it's a great way to unwind for me to come home from work and just, you know, prep and cook and, and you know, one of my one of my love languages is is you know serving others. So it's an opportunity for me to you know give her a nice dinner and, uh, you know, I wish the kids would have appreciated it growing up. But you know, I had this thing I used to say. You know, I said, you know, you don't have to like it, you just have to eat it. Oh, I've turned my son is the biggest food snob in the world. I really, he, he, at the age of 12, I think asked for steamers for his birthday party. I thought, Oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, something else happened though. When it came to church for the first time in your life, you really decided, okay, um, you're going to go to church. And, um, 
man, you, you dove in like everything you dove in head first. And it was all just perfect, wonderful experience. And life's been good ever since. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the diving in part was good. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely tell you that. Uh, But yeah, there's been some ruts. Um, There's been some ruts in my spiritual church life and church hurts and uh, seems an appropriate place to talk about it. So, so, I mean, I see the story is this, here you go. You're the pastor's dream here. He gets this um, driven businessman who's really never been involved in church. That's buying it hook, line and sinker has a personal relationship with Jesus comes in the door and doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to help the offering plate a little bit, you know, a big businessman. That's always nice. You got on the worship team, you know how to sing. You're there setting up chairs. This is kind of a, this is a startup church that's experiencing success. And, and how did it feel to you? Cause you'd never been part of anything like that before. You know, it was, it was, it, it was exciting. It felt really good. And the thing that was most fun for me was the people that I met, you know, a bunch of people that thought like me and uh, felt like me. And we, you know, when we joined this church, we had this awesome pastor that was energetic and he would, he would do his sermon. And I'd be like, does this guy, does this guy have my phone tapped? I mean, he would be speaking to me and I was just eating it up. I was just eating it up. I was loving it. Everything applied. Everything started to make sense in my life because, you know, up until that time, uh, I knew, I knew God was there, but I didn't know, you know, who God was and how he worked. And, and, uh, we had a, a small group that we uh, put together from that church. And, um, it was, it was a crazy God thing because we went through, you know, all of us in that group, there was 12 of us, all of us hit some really strange ruts that uh, together we kept each other together. I mean, some really, really crazy stuff happened. And, and, and we look back at it, the small group's not together anymore. We look back at it and we go, wow, what a, what a God thing that was for us to all have gone through what we went through and all be together. I mean, we're still all close friends, but we, we're not the small group that we had. Um, so that was interesting. It was interesting to be just to see it all come together. In a real short, I mean, just cutting through a lot of pain and a lot of struggles. There's not the same name of the church on the front door anymore. They kind of merged with other ones. You saw the pastor go through stuff that was heartbreaking for you because you knew the inside scoop, right? Yeah. And um, how many, how many years, I mean, you worked day in and day out and with, I mean, the best motivations in the world at that church and just never really had the leadership to take off, did you? No, we, the, like I said, the guy that started the church, when I joined, he was there and he was, he was, he was the guy, right? He, he could get right into your soul and, and preach to you in a way that, you know, is, is fulfilling, right? Is, is life-changing, but he ended up um, divorcing his wife. And so the leadership decided he had to go. He could no longer be the pastor, which at the time I was so new to the church. I didn't understand that. I'm like, well, that's crazy. Everybody gets divorced. My parents got divorced. I know everybody gets divorced. Why would, why couldn't he be stay to be the pastor? Right? Well, he couldn't. And, and the reality is we never really found a replacement that could 
grow the church as, as much as we tried. Um, at one point, we lost our building because they were going to tear it down and build houses. And uh, and our pastor said, well, that's it. We're done. And, uh, you know, we got together. We, like the, the leaders of the church, and a lot of the guys were in construction. A lot of them I brought in. Um, and we had the, you know, we had capabilities that other people didn't have, other churches didn't have. So we, that's where we met you, right? We, we did the campaign to raise the funds, raised more money than I ever thought was possible, bought a building, mm -hmm. rebuilt it. And that was kind of the high, another high, another mm -hmm. high point was that time in my life. We were, we were just on fire. And, uh, but again, that pastor wasn't able to take full advantage of it and just wasn't, you know, people were just leaving instead of people coming, people were leaving and you watch the congregation shrink. And then, you know, you get another pastor and he's not able to do it and it keeps shrinking. And, and eventually it gets to the point where you get there and you look around and it's so depressing because you just go, where, where, where did everybody go? Right. Where? Oh, where isn't that the hardest go? thing in the world? Oh, to watch the church decline. Oh, I mean, talk about pain, and and hence our title, obviously, Church Hurts. Uh, before I get uh, just uh, to the end, one time you were out at the grill, and your wife came out and asked you where your two-year-old, had you seen your two-year-old? Tell me about that, will you? Yeah, Christmas Day. And oh. I wasn't at my grill. I was building my grill. So I'd gotten a Weber, one of those gas Webers for Christmas. And so me and my dad. We're out there on the deck in the backyard and we're putting this thing together. So excited because we're going to cook Christmas dinner on it. And she comes walking out of the back door and says, where's Hunter? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm building this grill. And she just gives me that kind of disgusted look and goes through the garage because the garage leads to the front yard and the front yard's where the street is. And we live at the end of a private street, but still, you know, you don't want two-year-olds running around out there unsupervised. I got up and turned around and I don't know why I looked at the pool and I couldn't see the pool because there was bushes that are covering it. I could see just part of it and I could see that there were ripples and I stood up so I could see the whole pool. And I saw my two-year-old basically floating face down in the deep end um, and screamed, call 911 and ran over to the edge of the pool you know, he was wearing one of those onesies, those fuzzy onesies that those guys wore back then. Yep. Pulled him out of the pool. And I don't even know why. I don't know CPR. I never learned CPR, but I pulled him out. I set him, you know, belly down on the side of the pool. And I turned his head and I pushed on his back just kind of gently. And, you know, water came gushing out. I picked him up. Again, he threw up a bunch of water. He was kind of out of it. Um, and at this point, my wife had comes from running back in and she's screaming hysterically and my mother is there and my mother I don't know what she said to my wife but got her to just calm down and uh, picked so she took the baby away from me and you know held him to his chest and he slowly came back to um, and it didn't take but a couple minutes for the fire department to show up and check him out he had you know hypothermia so they you know they put him in the in the ambulance and took off my, my wife's shirt and put him on her bare skin so that, uh, you know, it could warm him up. 
And uh, yeah, that was that was my Christmas day. Everything turned out fine. He had a little bit of water on his lungs, but nothing that needed any. You know, he had the hypothermia was the worst thing. But the I remember the the fire department would come by every year, and uh, my wife would make him cookies, right? And they would say, you know, nine times out of ten, the story doesn't end this way. Nine mm-hmm. times out of ten, it's too late. And uh, so then you know that kid that kid uh he's a, he's been a few ruts in my life he, that's not the only rut with that guy right he's he's uh well, he's just a just tell me the short tell me the short because i mean you love that boy a lot and yeah and he ended up causing you a little more heartbreak and it's the last story i'm going to be able to let you tell because we our time's almost up but tell me about that because that man that was hard yeah so he's he's a He's, he just turned 29 family dinner last night was about his 29th birthday. And, mm. um, you know, he's, he's one of those ADHD kids with, you know, dyslexia and he's got some challenges and getting him through school has, uh, you know, has always been a challenge, had to send him away to certain schools because he just couldn't do what he needed to do. And, uh, and then he struggles with addiction. So we've had, you know, several times where, um, uh, that's been a problem, um, Currently, I've got him talking to a, a therapist that is helping because, you know, the holidays come around or his birthday comes around and that's when he tends to, you know, lose it. Um, something about holidays, something about birthdays um, and addiction. And those seem, those seems to put those guys over the edge. And um, but, you know, knock on wood today, he's OK. You do more than knock on wood. I asked you about business and what it was like being a Christian in the business world. And you said in the business world, if you're grounded in Christ, people know it. You're not one of those guys out there with bumper stickers on all your trucks saying Jesus saves. What do you mean by that? People know it. Well, when you're, when you have a faith, right, you, you understand that it's bigger than you. And it's kind of a relief that it's not all on me, you know, God's in charge of this. And so you have a confidence and, um, you have uh, a need to do the right thing. You know, it's just amazing how many contractors, uh, like me are not driven to do the right thing. They're driven to make money. And, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar was my motivational teacher and, and, he was a very devout Christian and, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but later on, as he got older, he started to do more uh, speaking of the gospels and all that stuff. And it just, it all tied together. It all makes sense. And so people just, people know that you're going to do the right thing. And if, and if things go wrong, you're going to take care of it because things always go wrong. And then my guys, right. My, my employees, I started at the end of a shovel. I know what it's like to be, you know, people aren't doing, you know, jumps and skips to get into construction. I mean, these, these millennial kids aren't really looking for a job shoveling asphalt or troweling cement or building fences. And so, uh, you know, it's hard work and I appreciate what these guys do and, and they know uh, that I appreciate them. And they're also, you know, they're, we're 95% Mexicans uh, here and, and they're, they're based in Christ as well. They're family oriented men that, that, you know, have faith most of them and they just appreciate 
they appreciate working for somebody that that really cares about more than making money, right? It's not about making money. It's about making opportunity for the guys that work here. The money will come, right? Um, yep. You just have to have the right attitude, and, and it shows. It shows up. Well, Darren, I wasn't going to say anything about this, but I'm going to say something as we close. Before I do, you know, you saw me in the midst of work after I'd left the pastorate, and then you saw me at my bottom when my life was just caving in, and, and you didn't give up on me. And that's kind of just, I think, a lot of who you are. But when I asked you to come to the show, you asked me, why me? And went on to express confusion as to what you would have to offer. I was not aware of your record-breaking business in 2020. I didn't know the story about Hunter almost dying at the bottom of the pool. I just knew that Darren is the real McCoy. He lives his faith in the hard times and in the good times. His Facebook page is filled with active pictures of him on skis, water, and snow, visiting beautiful places with a grinning wife or at his side, maybe a new litter of puppies or on a horseback ride. Darren indeed does a good job at having fun. But Facebook isn't reality, is it? We don't post pictures of the quiet moments in depression as we agonize over the employees who could lose their job if we make a mistake. We rarely hear successful people talk about their doubts and insecurities, failings and depression. Life is hard and decisions need to be made often at the most inopportune times. Many people today are experiencing a time that seems very unsettled. The pandemic has been a punch in the gut. Political unrest and controversy have reached new division levels, sparking conflict in families and personal relationships few of us have experienced before. What direction are we to take? What will the future hold? One of the most outstanding leaders in the history of the world was in such a time when he stopped and took stock of the people he led. He, he summarized all the worldviews which had competed for their allegiance. And then he revealed his decision and before taking a poll, he famously said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But what if this happens? Or what, what if that happens? What, what about sickness or financial ruin or death or paralysis? Another famous leader said this, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's worth a thought. Enjoy God today for Church Earth and This is John Bash. <laughs>